Leviticus 17. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, This is the thing which Yahweh has commanded. Whatever man there is of the house of Israel who kills a bull or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and hasn't brought it to the door of the tent of meeting to offer, it has an offering to Yahweh before Yahweh's tabernacle, blood shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood. That man shall be cut off from his people. This is to end. This is to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to Yahweh to the door of the tent of meeting, to the priest, and sacrifice them for sacrifices of peace offerings to Yahweh. The priest shall sprinkle the blood on Yahweh's altar at the door of the tent of meeting and burn the flat the fat for a pleasant aroma to Yahweh. They shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat idols, after which they play the prostitute. This shall be a statute forever to them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, Any man there is of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who live as foreigners among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and doesn't bring it to the door of the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to Yahweh, that man shall be cut off from his people. Any man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who live as foreigners among them who eats any kind of blood, I will set my face against the soul who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life. Therefore I have said to the children of Israel, No person among you may eat blood, nor may any stranger who lives as a foreigner among you eat blood. Whatever man there is of the children of Israel, or of the strangers who live as foreigners among them, who takes in hunting any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For as to the life of all flesh, its blood is with its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any kind of flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Every person that eats what dies of itself, or that which is torn by animals, whether he is native-born or a foreigner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening, and then he shall be clean. But if he doesn't wash them or bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. This chapter is a short one, and it only really makes two basic points. One, all the sacrifices must be done at the temple. And two, you must not eat blood. So they're the two main points here, and it just elaborates them on in various aspects, but, but basically this was hugely important to God. So there's something to be said about both of these. Firstly, in pagan cultures, in, in these ancient times, people did sacrifice all the time, and they did it wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and they sacrificed to all sorts of other um, demons and gods, and it even mentions in here, you shall not sacrifice to the goat idol. That's one example. But by God saying that you had to bring your sacrifice to the tent of meeting, in other words, to the tabernacle or the temple, um, what God was basically 
doing was outlawing all types of other sacrifices to all the other gods, all the other, you know, they're all false gods, but he's basically saying there's only one God, and he must be worshipped in this way, and it must be done at this place. So it had, um, I guess, a spiritual effect of causing people to, to focus on the Lord God as the only genuine God, and that was good. But it also had a political effect in that you've got, by the time they were going to come into the promised land a bit later, they're going to be spread out all over the place, 12 tribes. But to offer sacrifices, they have to travel and go to this place to make their sacrifice. And it has the effect of keeping them united as a nation. So sure, they're 12 tribes and effectively they're kind of like 12 nations. But by keeping this one thing in common, it keeps keeping the Lord as their God in common, and they all go to this one place, it has the effect of uniting them. And so that was God's intention. He had both spiritual and political purposes in that. And if you know your history of the children of Israel, you know that there comes a moment when there's the, a king called Jeroboam number one. So the, the nation of Israel is kind of like split. Two tribes have gone to one side and 10 tribes have gone to the other. There's like a civil war. And um, the leader of the 10 tribes is Jeroboam I. And Jeroboam I decides to himself, you know, I don't want all my tribes going to that temple that's in the other, other country with two tribes. I want to keep them apart. So he actually makes two idols, two golden calves, at the top and bottom of his 10 tribes. And he says, don't go to Jerusalem, just go to these two. So he specifically does what this chapter says not to do, but it's for the purpose of political, he's trying to politically, you know, consolidate these 10 tribes. But you can see that, that that's what the temple was doing. It was politically consolidating the 12 tribes. But Jeroboam the um, first just destroyed all of that by disobeying this very chapter here. And as we go through later on in the Bible, in the book of Kings, you're going to see that every single king of those northern tribes was evil. Not one of them followed the Lord. One of them, Ahab, kind of half at times followed the Lord. There was a moment that he repented. But, you know, apart from kind of half with Ahab, they, did, they, were, all, um, they were all just evil. And the northern nation went completely off the rails. And you can see how something, a simple command like this, like sacrifices must come to the temple, was designed... It seems so like arbitrary and it seems like there's no point to it, but you can see how it, there was real purpose in this. And um, the second command here was about blood. And it said, you must not eat blood. And um, this was, as it turns out, this was something that all around the ancient world people did. They, they ate meat that still had the blood in it. They would often kill their animals by strangling them so that when the animal died, the blood remained in the meat. In our culture, we bleed at the animals. We, um, you know, the meat works here in Rockhampton, they're killing, um, the several meat works is here, and they're killing more than a thousand cows per day as part of the meat industry, but they bleed them. They get all the blood out. And if you, sometimes you go to the supermarket and you buy some steak and you see this red liquid. I used to think that was blood which would be hemoglobin, but it's not blood, it's myoglobin. It's actually a watery liquid that's red in color, but it's not blood. All the blood is, is, is pumped out 
when, when they bleed the animal, they'll often cut the throat. I know that I've been fishing with my, with my father and with other people, and when you catch a fish, the first thing you do is to bleed the fish. That's the way we do kill the fish, to get all the blood out, because we're not gonna eat the fish with the blood in it. But in ancient times, they ate meat with blood in it. And the Lord was, I guess, um, you could say, oh, well, what's the big deal about this? But there was something very special about blood from the Lord's perspective. And we know it was so special because later Jesus was going to give his blood for us. So we know there's something about it. And right back here in Leviticus, this point is being made that life is in the blood and it's very important. And don't drink the blood um, for these certain reasons. When we come to the New Testament, you know, there's, we've got all these Old Testament laws like this, like don't drink the blood. When we come to the New Testament, you know, there's a discussion about what, how many of these laws should we keep on following? You know, because people were becoming saved and joining the church who weren't Jewish, like Gentiles. And, and in Acts chapter 15, there's a big discussion between Peter, Paul and James and others. They're discussing what rules shall we put on the Gentiles? And, you know, the big one I guess they were discussing was circumcision. But they end up coming to the decision at that Jerusalem council that no, they don't, circumcision isn't needed for Gentiles. I mean, people can, can be circumcised for health reasons or um, if they feel it's important, but it's not needed for salvation. Someone shouldn't be circumcised thinking it's going to get them into heaven or not. You know, that was another one of these pictures and types that the Lord used. Instead, we should have our hearts circumcised, removing things out of our hearts that are that are not good. But interestingly, when the Jerusalem Council was discussing which one of the which laws should be carried over, they actually carried, they didn't carry over circumcision, but they did carry over two things. And one was to abstain from sexual immorality and to abstain from blood. So for some weird reason, these two things carry over into um, the New Testament. And even though we are Gentiles, we, we're not obliged to follow the Jewish law, we abstain from sexual immorality because it pollutes the body and it's not pleasing to the Lord. And we abstain from blood too. And I suspect it has something to do with the huge respect we have for the blood of Jesus. It's a reminder to us that it's not to be treated casually. That's my, my sense of the thing. But having said that, in John chapter 6, as Jesus was walking around and ministering, he said something very completely shocking to the people that were with him. He told them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And, you know, modern Westerners, we read that and we think, oh, he was saying something like cannibalism. And we think that's the shocking aspect of it. And that is shocking. But for Jewish people who were listening to him, who'd been raised with the Old Testament law, where drinking blood was like a thing you don't do, for Jesus to tell people to drink his blood, it was just the most shocking thing they've ever heard. It was a ghastly thought. And the Greek word that's used there is skandalo, which is where the word scandalous comes from in English. So you kind of, you, you get the sense that Jesus was saying something just scandalous. And then after that, people are not wanting to follow Jesus anymore and even his own disciples are kind of like, there's only a few of them left and Jesus says to them, are you going to leave me too? <laughs> um, but the point is we now realize that Jesus didn't mean to physically drink his blood, 
But what he meant was that his blood represented a far deeper reality. It's not a metaphor in the sense that metaphorically we drink, drink his blood. No, in a deeper and more real way than the, you know, the physical things are real, but the spiritual reality is more real. So it's not a metaphor in the sense that it's not real. No, it's more real. It's a, but it's, it's a metaphor in the sense that it's using a physical reality to speak of a deeper thing that is even more real. And in that more real way, we don't physically drink Jesus' blood, but we, his blood is taken into us and it gives us his life. So we have the life of Christ within us, and, um, but we don't have the life of animals within us. We're not looking to them, but we are looking to Christ. Well, what about you? Are you going to eat and drink the blood and the flesh of Jesus? And in a sense, we do that when we have communion. Those are just symbols of his blood and his body. But by partaking of them, we remind ourselves that we, we become one with Christ, one with him in his body and one with him in his blood, one with the body of Christ. And in that sense, we, we participate in Christ. Lord, I want to thank you that there's so many lessons to learn throughout the whole Bible and right here in Leviticus. And I thank you that you've given us your blood. Lord, we won't eat the blood of, we won't drink the blood of animals, but we do participate in the table of the Lord and we receive of the, 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 the meal that you offer to us. And we thank you for it. And I thank you that in the same way that we must, that the Israelites had to come to the temple to present their sacrifices, Lord, we, we're reminded that we can't just do whatever we want, however we want, and think it's good enough for God, but rather we, we come to the temple of the Lord, the, the body of Christ, and we recognize that the sacrifice that's been made for us was there, Jesus Christ. And we come and stand before you, Lord, with gratitude and appreciation, and we ask for grace that we ourselves would live for Christ and um, be a blessing to others in the name of Jesus.